0: So this morning the sermon uh, begins with the scripture, because this scripture passage, the, the death and raising of Lazarus, is probably the longest story in all of the lectionary, and so it takes quite a bit of time, and I will be telling it uh, based on the Common English Bible, so if you try to read along, it won't read the same way, though the Common English Bible is a, is a very good translation, so just to, to give you a little bit of a, of a heads up. Before I tell the story, I would like for you to take a minute and think of whatever struggle or grief that you are holding on to right now. Maybe it's for yourself or for someone you love or for the world, but just take a minute and think about what that is for you in this space today. Friends, our stories are met by God's story. So listen, this is the story of God for the people of God. A certain man, Lazarus, was ill. Now he was from Bethany, where his sisters Mary and Martha lived. And Mary was the one, the one who who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and, and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one whom you love is ill. Jesus, when he received this news, he responded, Lazarus' illness is not fatal. It doesn't lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that God's son will be glorified through it. And so even though he loved Martha and her sister Mary and their brother Lazarus, he stayed where he was. Now, after two days, he said to his disciples, let's return to Judea again. And his disciples, uh, probably remembering that the last time they had been in that region, the Jewish opposition had tried to Stone, Jesus said to him, Rabbi, the last time we were there, the Jewish opposition tried to stone you and you want us to go back there. Jesus said to them, are there not 12 hours in a day? Everyone who walks by day does not stumble because they see the light of the world. And Everyone who walks by night, by dark, does stumble because there is no light in them. And then he continued, Lazarus is sleeping and I must go and wake him up. Well, the, the disciples said to him, Well, Lord, if Lazarus is sleeping, then he is probably going to get better. They said this because they thought that Jesus meant what he said, that Lazarus was in some sort of deep sleep and that he'd be okay. But Jesus meant that Lazarus was dead. So he finally spoke to them plainly, saying, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you can come to believe. Let's go. Then Thomas, who was called the twin, Thomas said to the other disciples, let's go so that we may die with Jesus. Now, when Jesus arrived, he learned that Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many of their Jewish brothers and sisters had had come to Mary and Martha in their home to be with them after Lazarus died. And Mary, when she heard that Jesus was coming, she went, I mean Martha went, but Mary remained in the house. And Martha, when she came to Jesus, she said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died Even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give it to you. And Jesus said to her, Lazarus will rise again. And she said to him, I know that he will rise on the the day of resurrection, on the last day. I know. And, And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Everyone who believes in me will live, even though they die. And and whoever lives and believes in me will never not die forever. Do you believe this? And Martha said, yes. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, the one who is coming. And then she went, and she went to Mary and told her in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. Now, Jesus was still where Martha had met him. He, did not yet, he had not yet come to the village. So when Mary went, she left to go meet Jesus. Those who were there, her Jewish brothers and sisters who were there who were mourning with her, thought she was going to Lazarus' tomb to mourn, and they went with her. And when she saw Jesus, she fell to his feet and said, Lord, if you had been there, my brother wouldn't have died. When Jesus saw that she she was crying and that the the people who had come with her, they were crying, he became greatly agitated. He He was deeply troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And then they said, come and see." And Jesus wept. Now, at seeing Jesus weeping, some of them said, see, he really loved him. But others said, you know, he, he cured the man who was blind from birth, so why didn't he heal Lazarus? Jesus was greatly agitated, greatly disturbed when he got to the tomb, which was a cave with a stone rolled to cover the entrance. And he said to them, remove the stone. But Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to Jesus, Lord, Mel will be awful. He has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, Didn't I say to you that if you believe you will see God's glory, she stood there, and they removed the stone from the tomb. And Jesus, with a loud voice, shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man, the dead man came out, his his feet bound, his hands tied, and the death shroud covering his face. And Jesus said to the people, untie him and set him free. Let him go. Now many of the Jews who were there with Mary and saw this thing that Jesus had done, they believed in him because of it. But others went to tell the Pharisees what Jesus had done. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Holy God, be with us in this space, be with our stories, and with us as we dwell in your story, that we might see you and know you. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. John's Gospel actually begins with a phrase that we will hear, we heard, in the middle of our story today. And I preached about it back in January. In that when when John first calls his disciples, unlike the other uh, Gospels, he does not say, follow me and I will make you fish for people. He does not ask them to drop their nets and go. He simply says, come and see. And back in January, I asked if you thought that the disciples knew, or if we thought that that the disciples knew what it meant, what it really meant meant when Jesus asked them to come and see. Jesus' first words spoken to them are actually a response to a question that they've asked. Where are you staying? Because they wanted to stay with him. But the translation can also be, where are you abiding? Because they want to abide with him. Which is key in John. Abiding with Jesus, and therefore abiding with God. And Jesus' answer to this question is, come and see. Do they know how hard this will be? In the beginning of this particular story about the raising of Lazarus, we find Jesus' people... Both the disciples and his beloved friends, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, in very difficult places. The disciples are afraid. He's asking them to return to a place that they left for a reason and a good one at that. This this is the transition in John's gospel from Jesus' outward ministry to his inward teaching of the disciples to his eventual death and resurrection, and it is the resurrection of Lazarus that is the final straw that leads to his crucifixion. It's a foreshadowing of Jesus' own death. But the disciples have legitimate fear right now. And it's also possible that since Jesus was friends with Mary and Martha and Lazarus, that they too were friends. And so maybe they have fear and grief. And Mary and Martha, their grief is real. When I was learning the story, I could not get that line out of my head. Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Lord, if, if you had been here, modern day translation might be for us, why, God? If you are good, if you are all-powerful, if we know all the things that you are capable of doing and we have been told of your love, why? If you had been here. Last Sunday after a full day of worship, Larry and I were commenting that we were especially aware of the stories of the congregation that met us in the worship space. And I'll admit that sometimes I'm more attuned to these stories than others, but it felt like there were so many people whose faces I met out in these pews and in the pews of the chapel who are experiencing real and significant struggle and grief right now. And if it's not their own, it's the grief and struggle that is shared because someone they know and love is struggling And I know more than a few of you are particularly sensitive at this time to the deep pains of the world. But last Sunday, I was perhaps particularly attuned to it because the week before, in the course of one day, I received three emails. An email about a toddler in our community who was suddenly taken to the hospital and who died soon after. An email about one of our parents who was suddenly stricken ill. I got an email about a mutual friend of ours and colleague in this presbytery who just two months ago left to pursue the next stage of his vocation in Chicago, just two months ago and who, weeks after the start of this new adventure, heard the words stage four pancreatic cancer. On the way home from session on that same day, I called one of my friends, one of my clergy colleagues and said, I am so tired of apologizing for God. Mostly to myself. Lord, if you had been here. I get Mary and Martha. They believed. And belief runs through this whole story. Belief is quintessential to John's Jesus. Didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see God's glory? And Mary and Martha, they, they believed. If we took all the statements of Mary from this particular story and wrote them down and sent them off to Presbytery, a statement of faith seeking approval, approval they would get. She believes. She knows the right belief, the right answers. She says, even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give it to you. She says, I know that Lazarus will rise in the resurrection on the last day. And she says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, God's son, the one who is coming into the world. That's what she says. But it doesn't stop her. It doesn't stop her grief, her anger, her disappointment. What she has come and seen is that her brother is dead. And maybe that the one in whom she places this belief has let her down. We speak what we believe too. Every week we gather in this place and we we say the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We confess every week that we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then we say together a communal prayer of confession. And then we hear the words, scriptural words of assurance of God's promises of forgiveness, of grace. We speak what we believe. But it occurred to me this week that sometimes when we gather in this place and say those words that we believe, they don't seem to match the state of the world in which we live. Lord, if you had been here... Sometimes the promise of what to come is helpful and hopeful and moves us. But sometimes I'm guessing you sit here and the words ring hollow because the grief is heavy and deep and no one can take it away. Maybe we think those words just weren't meant for us. Those gathered with Mary and Martha, when they are asked by Jesus where Lazarus has been laid, they also say, Come and see. What they want to show Jesus is death, real death. What they want to show him is verification to some, we hear, that he has failed. What they show him is that people live and people die and there is nothing new under the sun. Come and see, the people say. And it is at this point that Jesus weeps. At this point in the story, suddenly for me, the Jesus with whom I have struggled abides his tears mixing with my own and maybe with yours, with Mary's and Martha's and the tears of their Jewish brothers and sisters gathered with them. Jesus wept, it says. And then the words that came before to the disciples, the words that seemed so obtuse at the time, the words that held very little meaning for me when I was first learning the story, they come, look, aren't there 12 hours in a day? Those who walk in the day don't stumble because they see the light of the world. But those who walk in the the night, they do stumble because the light is not in them. These words start to have meaning for me. Jesus, come and see. His invitation to abide is an invitation to walk in the light in spite of everything that is happening in the world. It is so easy to choose to go down the path of darkness, to sit with grief forever, and to dismiss hope as, as wishful thinking. It is so easy to get angry and say, but Lord, I said that I believed all these things, and still, where were you? It is much harder to choose to walk by day much harder to choose light. I was originally annoyed with Jesus because he seemed so focused on right belief, but what I think he's really concerned about is right now. Yes. The promise is that they will be resurrected on the last day, but Jesus says, right now, I am the resurrection. I am the life. He's telling them that What they do now matters. That abiding abiding in him matters not for the thing that is to come. So far off that thing is. It matters for how we walk through this world right now. And who we walk through this world with. Which brings me to my final piece. Jesus' invitation is for us to walk with him, to abide with him, to not be afraid of the dark, to come and see with him, but not just with him. Because Jesus engages the community with that coming and seeing. When it is time to raise Lazarus, Jesus shouts, Lazarus, come out. He doesn't go and pick up Lazarus and lay his hands on him and heal him, which he has done in other stories. He invites Lazarus to get up, to come out of the tomb that has confined him. But Lazarus, upon coming out, is still bound. He is wrapped in death shrouds, and that's when Jesus invites the people. The people gathered around him to go and untie him, let him go, set him free. Friends, there are times that we come to this place and we say the words that we're supposed to say and we say what we believe, but we do not feel it. And when people come to my office and sit with me and talk about that place, and what I, what I say to them and what I sometimes say to my friends on the phone when I'm tired of apologizing for God is this. We abide in God, but we do not do it alone. That Sunday, last Sunday, when I looked out and saw your stories, I was not filled with overwhelming grief. I was with you in it. I was humbled and grateful that we get to share this sacred space together. That we, in our varied stages in life, with our varied hopes and dreams and fears and griefs, do this together. We abide with one another and we abide with Jesus and therefore we abide with God. God invites those of us that feel strong in our faith and feel hopeful to sit next to those who can't muster it at this moment and be with them. God has grace enough in our times of doubt and unbelief, in our grief and our anguish and our anger. God invites us still invites us then to set people free, to help them come and see and experience the freedom and love of God, a narrative that runs counter to the narratives of fear and death that threaten to overtake us. God invites us to participate in community fully so that our belief is not empty word, but it is true abiding. God is with us in all of our stories. And so, friends, the invitation of Jesus Remains come and see. Amen.